love riding my bike. I love running. I don't care what they think about it. I love it. At that point, when I knew I was going to win, chills just went up and down my entire body. I don't believe there are any good or bad foods. Food is food. I still feel so passionate about getting that record that I'm like, I'm just going to do it. As an athlete, I was like, what's my story or what's your story? What can you learn from it? And what can you teach people? Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. I'm Haley Chura, and I'm joined by my co-host, Alyssa Gadeski. Alyssa, it was a huge weekend last weekend for racing in general, triathlon racing, events involving the limits of human performance racing, and, and your racing. And so maybe that's a good place to start. Did you, I think you had another race last weekend. I think it went well. Yes, Haley. So I was racing the second of my two back-to-back 50Ks, so I was doing... 50 Ks on two consecutive Saturdays. I love to do back-to-back racing like that. And, um, this one went well, if you, our listeners were listening to previous weeks, when I talk about that race, I did win the first week, but, um, it was not my best executed race. I didn't feel really proud of the way I kind of ran or my, like how I went into that race. I got, I succumbed to the heat and humidity that I should have been better prepared for. So I, definitely made some changes going into this week and Haley, I won yet again. Yay. So we wow, love winning. Back yeah. back. Winner, winner. Um, um, you know, we I always, think- even if it's like smaller races, you know, a win, it feels good. It's fun to win. <laughs> so Wait, also, what um, did you get for, I thought, I think I saw something on social media, your trophy. Oh it yeah. I should have brought it. I've got, um, they like painted, I think a local woman to the area where the race was painted these, like these rocks. So I got a painted rock. So no maple syrup for this win. I got a painted rock. Um, but I also got a really nice, they gave me like a Patagonia nice, like tank top that's like has the race thing on it so it's like yeah pretty good pretty good swag i will stay especially for a small race that um and they had good post-race food here which was really nice um and i think the two big things that came out of the weekend that were really good are one i ran much stronger than the week prior i was like better on top of my noon hydration planning, just in case like they didn't have electrolytes on course and things like that. So I really paid attention to just the hydration with the heat and humidity. I'm still not really used to it when it is hot and humid. And, um, it's so just overall, I had like a better hydration plan in place for the effort, but then two Haley, I just ran really well. I ran like a half hour faster than the first week. And I owe it all to a man who will never listen to this podcast, William, who was my running partner. He caught me like five miles in and then we ran together until I dropped him in the last two miles, but we ran together like (laughs) that. See, I felt really bad for him because he basically was having my week, like the week before, like he was like starting to like really die of the, um, humidity and the hydration issues. He was like cramping really bad, but he was like, just go on without me. But we spent, I mean, I don't think I really have ever spent that much time like not very often talking to someone and like running step for step with someone. It was just the two of us for like 20, how, what is that? 31 minus seven miles. So yeah, 24 miles, I guess we ran together. That's just a long time to run with someone. Um, and turns out he's from like my town. So that was exciting too. Yeah. Now you guys can meet up. You didn't like, you just like left him there on the side of the road with like a packet of noon instant being like, (laughs) you'll make it buddy. (laughs) <laughs> well, I thought, I thought he was with me. So we hit this one point and I was just, I looked at my watch and I was like, I think we're like 20 minutes or less. Like, cause it was basically an out and back. You did two out and backs on this like Jeep road, essentially that was kind of rolling, but you know, nothing crazy. And they had like permanent mile markers, but the mile markers were pretty hard to see. And so I just had like the landmarks that I was using as like the timing, you know, like, okay, I'm really close, like here, blah, blah, blah. So we hit this one point and I turned to him and I was like, oh, I think we're like 20 minutes or less if we like keep this pace. And I don't know what it was about me saying that, but it was like, I flipped a switch and his body was like, I can't make it 20 minutes. Like we're, I'm done. And he was just like, I was like, we can do anything for 20 minutes. Like, come on. And I could just feel him start to like fade. And I was like, hello. <laughs> and he, I didn't realize he like got that far back. I, I mean, he, he must've really struggled based on how long, how far back he was um, so in those first two miles. Yeah. So, okay. Cause I, someone who who likes to think about things like I'll tell myself okay it's only like three hours of your life and to me like Mm -hmm. three hours actually sounds like a fairly small amount of time yeah but I have tried to explain that to other people or even suggested for my athletes and they're like oh no that doesn't work for me (laughs) and for other people it's like 
like that's like the worst possible thing you can say and it sounds like william was in that second category yeah he did not like <laughs> what i'm thinking <laughs> But, um, but but he did wait, well. Wait. He he was training. He was using it as like a training run for um another race he has coming up. So um you know I think it's good to have like for me you know a good wake up call. You got to be on your on top of your stuff you know and get that dialed in for for the races that count. Yeah, and and what works for one person, even even the mental praise, even praise. What works for one person doesn't work for another person. I I want to know the what was the uh, delta the difference between your two loops this week. Oh. It was much better. It was less than 10 minutes between the two. All like, right. So yeah, I feel good about that. Um, That's super good. Congratulations. Thanks. You did. Yeah, you so, really learned. From and I honestly don't know if I've ever run like that much. I mean, that whole course was runnable. And so I ran every single step of the 31 miles, which for me is like way outside my comfort zone because I'm usually doing courses that require a lot of like uphill hiking, <laughs> which I like. Um, so it was a different experience. It was fun. But, um, yeah. yeah. So, but then I woke up, what day was that? So that was Saturday. I woke up Sunday. I had a big training day and these last couple of days. And so I haven't been like paying too much attention Haley. So I'm really hoping you have been, um, I've been seeing some headlines. So I kind of get the gist of things that have happened, but it sounded like a pretty epic weekend of racing for females in triathlon. Yeah. Yeah. So Saturday night I was awake for the start of the sub eight project. I, I was like, it was one of those things, like I was in bed, I was ready for sleep. And it was like, oh, if I just wait a little bit longer, I can watch this. And so I did end up watching the start of the coverage, the start of the swim in like the first like 12 minutes of swim. And then I was like, I'm so tired. And so um, I just wanted to kind of see what, what was happening, how they were going to do this. And so it was pretty cool. They started the women, Kat Matthews and Nicholas Spierig and their pacers at an hour ahead of the men. And so I guess like that would make the eight hour and the seven hour barrier the same. The finish line was the same. And Alyssa, I mean, I have to admit, like your prediction last week was that Nicholas Spirit would win and neither of them would go under eight hours. And you were very wrong. I should not <laughs> bet on triathlon projects like these. Although I think I just took, you know, I think my podium predictions in St. George were pretty close. So I just wasted all of my prediction energy on that. And unfortunately fell very much short of this probably due in part to the fact that I really hadn't looked into exactly what they were doing well enough because, um, they did crush it. They crushed it. They crushed it. So Kat Matthews went seven thirty one. Nicholas Beard went seven thirty four. I mean, well, well under eight hours. It was, the coverage was really good. So I didn't, again, I didn't stay up, but I, I woke up and I got to catch, um, the podium <laughs> when I woke up, I didn't quite, I should have set an alarm so I could see the end of the run, but I didn't quite, I woke up in time, but then I was riding. And so I actually, we had a rainstorm. So I was on the trainer. So I watched a lot of the coverage while I was riding and it was so good. I mean, it was such an impressive race. Um, I don't know if you heard, but it, Kat Matthews came off the bike a little bit ahead of Nicola and then, um, Nicola just like chased her down. I think with 14 to go, Nicola caught and passed Kat. And then 3K later, Kat repassed Nicola and went on to win by three minutes. And so it was a really good race. And it was fascinating watching the teams work together. Really good coverage showing, you know, just the whole race on the course. And you got to see uh just the whole dynamics of everything. And I thought, again, they did a really good job with uh, the commentary. I think it was Vicki Holland and Georgia Taylor-Brown were out there with the men's commentary team. And I thought having the women start an hour ahead, the women, uh, Kat and Nicola, both crossed the finish line first with Christian and Joe Skipper, Christian Blumenfeld, Joe Skipper, not too long behind them. So spoiler alert, the men also broke sub seven. But um, but it was cool to see them cross first. I think it showed that there was a way to like give the women a lot of attention. And they did. They gave a lot of attention to Kat and Nicola's race because it was so close and it was so exciting. And so I thought it was just really well done. I think you alluded to this last week that, um, you know, you, they do it once and hopefully they'll do it again and figure things out. Cause I think that there were definitely areas where they could go faster. The run looked really hot actually. Like that was, I know, you know, there's just no shade on a race course and you're just on that black pavement asphalt so that was definitely one of my first kind of instincts when I saw it and that that was coupled by the fact that I was also reading the headline that Laura Phillip went 818 in Hamburg which I'm sure is on your list to talk about and I mean doing that without pacing on the bike right I mean 
to go 818 solo, it's like, man, what could she do if she had that kind of a setup, right? So I think it's clear that we can definitely push the boundaries of that experiment, right, a little bit more. And I don't think we've come close to seeing like what is is possible with that. Yeah, you're right. Laura Phillip won 818.20 at Ironman Hamburg and or Hamburg. And I think that that is only We can seven say it with the seven. American accent or the oh, German accent. I only know that because I, <laughs> Torsten Rad was talking about right. Hamburg um, when I saw him in St. George. And I was like, my brain wants to say Hamburg. And I'm like, no, it's ham, ham. Like, it is Hamburg. Oh, so he said Hamburg? It's Hamburg. That's how the Germans oh, say it. I would have thought it was we like, say that was it, the American way. We say it like all fancy, but I think it's actually the less fancy version. It's like hamburger, but um, no. without the er. So, um, but yes. Okay. So we've looked at the, at the splits, like Kat Matthews split 54 minute swim, 350 bike, 246 run. Laura split 54 swim, 431 bike, 245 run. So really the only difference is that, that bike, ride. which, yeah. you know, Kat had the Peloton in front of her and we're like, you know, we're land, you know, they had a, she had a pacing crew. So her bike was obviously very different. Laura was not, she was doing a time trial by herself. And so, yeah. How fast could Laura go on that run? If she got some help on the bike? I mean, I don't know. I, I would love Crazy. to see more people. Yeah. Do it. I mean, I'd love to kind of see, like, I think it'd be fun if they picked like a random person from the street, like at least someone oh, yeah. who like knows how to swim and then put them into that situation. And like, let's see how like, you know, random, Joanna from on the street can do <laughs> it has to be a very wealthy Joanna, but, um, yeah. we can pay for all those people, but still pretty cool. And also in Hamburg, Chelsea Sidero, her debut, eight thirty six, Menon Gane, eight fifty two, just incredibly, incredibly fast racing. Super fun. And Haley, that, um, wasn't, you know, triathlon wasn't the only racing going on. There was a lot of hubbub around unbound, 200, I guess. I don't know. Unbound gravel race. Right. And so we had a professional triathlete, Heather Jackson, who is racing there and we have a special treat for our listeners. That's right. So Catherine Taylor from the girls gone gravel podcast and the feisty media family was at unbound in Emporia, Kansas, huge, huge event. The 200 mile race, I think is like marquee race, but they have races of all different distances. They have, yeah, I know someone who did like a 300. It was like, yeah, she just kept riding and riding. And I was like, wait, let's go. Like what race is she doing? And it was like the 330 or something. I don't know. It was 350. A, I think yeah, really long. Leo, Leo Wilcox has done that. I think like we've talked to people who've done that, but I mean, yeah, there's all different distances. I think the 200 is considered like the marquee, but, um, Pro triathlete Heather Jackson was there and Catherine talked to her about the race um, and, you know, why she's racing gravel, how it fits into her triathlon training and advice for triathletes who want to get into gravel. So we're going to have that conversation between Catherine and Heather for you right here. All right, y'all. I am in Emporia, Kansas, and I found Heather Jackson. Hey, Heather. Hey. Okay. So good to see you. Yes. Uh, well, one time I chased you down in Chattanooga. I'm sure you don't remember. <laughs> okay. One of my favorites absolute favorites okay so you are here racing the 200 and this is the third time you were supposed to race this race correct <laughs> yeah this is um yes third time i was supposed to race it i wanted to kind of get into gravel yeah before covid hit and then when we came back last year and all the triathlons were back it was like okay nope just like one more year focused on kona all in for october I didn't want to risk, you know, necessarily going down or some of the, the things that racing gravel might bring. So I was like, nope, all in for Kona again. And then Kona was canceled yet again. So this year I was finally just like, I don't even care. I'm, I've been wanting to do this. I've been so excited to try it. It just looks amazing. The people, the vibes, everything is so finally, yeah, this year I'm working in quite a few gravel races. Um, before October so <laughs> awesome. how does this fit into your triathlon training like do you find it helps you I think it helps just because one I think it's harder um, it's like when you ride gravel you're kind of in not a bigger gear but it's more like you're pushing more when you're riding dirt so for me it's a lot of strength work um, I like being able to get off the roads especially like busy away from cars um, 
and yeah we just we planted into some of my bigger like longer blocks just also just to give myself a break from doing the same exact rides over and over like I can only climb Mount Lemmon so many times before I need something else so yeah I think it's been a good break and just trying to get back to like old school training like keeping things fun switching things up um, and then we work in with my husband and I like camping in the van like just yeah it's it's been awesome it just it's refreshing I guess an adventure of it, which is what gravel is all about, right? Okay, I'm curious how how was um, you just raced the world championship, and coming off that, like, how do you take kind of that same mentality into an event, or like, how are you how are you going to break this event down? Like, right, you don't get to do other things; you're just riding your bike for 200 miles. <laughs> right, exactly. For me, I'm almost like, okay, you know what? All my St. George training was getting me ready for this one, so I've kind of shifted my mindset. I just raced nine hours at St. George, so like. Here, the women last year finished in 12 hours, so for me, it's more okay. I know I can, you know, endure, I guess, for nine hours. It's going to be those final three are the unknown. Um, That said, I don't have to swim, which (laughs) for me is one of the biggest things. Um, Yeah, I think it's going to be just mainly staying on top of nutrition as much as as important as it is in an Ironman. So that's going to be my main focus because... You might feel good for four hours, five hours, six hours, but you get to hour nine and you still have three to go or so. I mean, yeah, I think I'm breaking it down in that sense of, okay, until I get to the six hour mark or so, like it's. <laughs> so in triathlon, you're very, it's very disciplined what you eat, but here like, like Allison Tetrick's famous for bringing like chicken wings or hamburgers or, you know. Are you bringing anything different from your nutrition than you normally would? <laughs> um, I think I'm going to have definitely a lot of solid foods like PB&J, sandwiches, pretzel, anything salty. Probably not chicken wings. Maybe cold pizza has been the tip just because you're going to want that salty, solid food at this at this two stops. So Because I'm going to be carrying a lot of gels and sugar and then that's the last thing you want. So yeah. Probably PB&Js will be my go-to. <laughs> okay, last question. If there are other triathletes, which there are a lot of triathletes looking at getting into gravel, what would you say? Like, how do, how do you add that into your training? I think, I mean, just sub in certain rides for gravel rides instead. I mean, it's, yeah, it's so much, ref- it's, yeah, I can't emphasize enough how refreshing it is just to get off the road. You're not just head down time trialing because half of gravel is about paying attention to where you're riding, like taking in everything around you, finding the right line, like avoiding things in the road. So it's like, it's, yeah, it's stimulating and it's fun and it gets you out of that training rut. So especially if you're in this like kind of lack of motivation because you've done the same intervals over and over, this is a great way to switch it up. Well, thanks so much for your time today, Heather. Good luck on Saturday. Yeah, thanks so much. (laughs) Okay, big thanks to Catherine for being our person on the ground, covering these pro triathletes, doing incredible things even outside of uh, pro triathlon world. And Alyssa, Heather did finish the race. She finished 26th woman. I think her time was 11 hours and 49 minutes, but she wasn't even actually the first pro triathlete because Angela Nath finished 15th in 11.27. I think Heather did have a mechanical. I saw that on Instagram later, but... Yeah, I think it was um, Catherine. a pretty big mechanical. I saw something about like a Brent bent front wheel. It sounded like kind of an epic cat. It sounded catastrophic, but it sounded, you know, I was surprised that it, she was able to continue riding, but I think people are more prepared for bike mechanicals in that environment, but still that was kudos to her for making it happen regardless of that. And still yeah. 26 with that kind of a mechanical is huge. I know. I do think gravel racing is a different kind of animal with, uh, with just, yeah, like you said, the mechanicals, but um, again, Heather, or Catherine, my Intel with Catherine, uh, after the race was that Heather was super happy at the finish. And so I don't think this is the last time we're going to see Heather on a gravel race start line. And then Rach McBride, they were the first, uh, in the non-binary category. So 1156 for Rach, which is a huge, huge accomplishment. And another fun surprise for us, Alyssa, Catherine Taylor from Girls Gone Gravel was at the finish line and was actually able to catch rage post-race and we have that conversation right here all right i am standing here with history <laughs> rage mcbride just became the first non-binary 200 mile finisher and they are very dirty <laughs> yes i am covered in mud that used to be dry but is now getting wet again from sweat <laughs> okay you've raced a lot in canada what was this like racing in emporia kansas 
this this was just I had such a blast today I really did except for maybe the last hour <laughs> or two um, but I ended up like having some really great runs with a couple of guys coming into each aid station and just you know Emporia really gave us like all of the things a downpour lots of mud uh, it was yeah it was really awesome um, and it, I mean it was a fast day today for sure uh, the weather was perfect not too hot not too windy um, and yeah I spent the last uh, from AIDS, the last aid station so like the last 60 miles or whatever it is for yeah 50 miles on my own and that was that was rough <laughs> okay how does it feel to be the first uh, non-binary 200 finisher to really be making history in this I mean I I it's amazing and you know it's really Abby who was like the first the, they did the hundred last year yeah yeah the non first non-binary finisher at unbound and um, yeah I'm just like so grateful to be here uh, it's a really cool experience well, we're grateful that you are a leader and you're leading with um, just being willing to help people walk through the process and um, it's fun to see Lifetime really embrace you and say we want to move forward and change these things and for you to embrace that right like this is a risk with your professional triathlon career to do some of these crazy gravel events. Yeah, yeah, it, it's I mean, yeah, it's it's just so fun and this is such a different event than uh, than triathlon and to be honest like this was the first race that I've ever done where uh, I had some competition, you know, I was racing scared with Apollo um, not knowing where they were, um, but it was like the first race where I knew there was another fast non-binary athlete in the in the field, and so yeah, I mean Apollo and I were really hoping to be riding together and uh, at least see each other out there. But um, yeah, I hope that they have a good finish. That's amazing. Well, um, thank you so much for taking a little time to talk to us. We're gonna get you a towel so you can clean up and uh, get some good recovery in. Thank you. The other pro triathlete who raced, Jocelyn McCauley, um, I I saw that she was in the results, but I was very confused about her splits. There was nothing posted on Instagram before we recorded this, so I'm hopefully Jocelyn did okay. Maybe there was just something wrong with the timing, but regardless, we're just saying that there's a lot of uh, pro triathletes who are making it work with gravel and uh, and um, on-road racing and uh, just showing that fitness is, it overlaps. For sure. No, I love, I love seeing everyone mix it up. I love seeing everyone finding some like, yeah, new areas to use that fitness because I do think that Ironman athletes and half Ironman athletes are some of the fittest people. Um, and yeah, getting to watch that, like translate to other sports is super exciting. Right. And so there are a lot of races coming up in the next couple of weeks and, or just this weekend, I think Ironman Des Moines is that that's like the officially the North American championship. I feel like everything is a championship right now because everything's squeezed in, but that's happening this Sunday. Um, and then Eagle man 70.3 also on Sunday, Alyssa, you and I, that's like a race that's near and dear to our hearts. Um, I haven't raced there. I'd never raced there as a pro, but as an amateur, I, I still remember what it was like. So good luck to everyone racing in Des Moines and Eagle man and anywhere else that I, uh, haven't haven't written down what races I didn't that's not a fully inclusive list and with all of the races happening there is also some exciting things happening with feisty media Haley uh the new podcast is coming out on a special series called nine and it's a title nine podcast that will have nine it's a nine part series um and each week a different podcast host from feisty media is interviewing one of the women who have been a part of the Title IX movement in some way, had to be a part of their life, they're, maybe they're a part of their career, that sort of thing. Um, we have some really, really fun interviews for everyone to listen to, and that's coming out through the Women's Performance Podcast feed. So make sure you are subscribed to the Women's Performance Podcast, and those nine episodes will be dropping every Thursday um, coming up here. Haley, mine drops... July 7th. And I interviewed actually someone we've had on Iron Women before. Um, 
I'm debating if I should spoil it for I'm going to spoil it for everyone. I'm interviewing Julie Moss, who, um, you know, people could go back in our archives. I promise I didn't use the same questions. We, we talked about a lot of different things on this upcoming episode, um, but it was really fun just to first reconnect with Julie, talk about um, Title IX and just be able to be a part of this new podcast series. But who did you interview? So I, yeah, this is this, I actually interviewed Wendy Mink, who is the daughter of Patsy Takamoto Mink, who was the first woman of color in Congress and actually co-authored and was the sponsor of Title IX, the legislation in 1972. So uh, this whole this whole series is a celebration of the 50 years of Title IX because we're coming up on the 50th anniversary of that very important piece of legislation. And so Wendy and I talked about her mother's legacy and how Wendy remembers her, uh, you know, as a mom, as a legislator, as a woman in Congress and how she, why she fought for Title IX and, you know, the reasons behind that and then how the fight didn't stop there and it still hasn't stopped. And so I really enjoyed talking to Wendy. She actually has a book that just came out about her mother. She's also her mother's biographer and um, the book is called Fierce and Fearless Patsy Takamoto Mink, first woman of color in Congress. And so definitely encourage people to read that, but also listen to the interview. That one is coming out June 16th, which is next Thursday, a week from right now, if you're listening to this when it first comes out on Thursday. And again, on the Women's Performance Podcast feed. So it won't be here on Iron Women, but if you uh, haven't listened to Women's Performance Podcast, it's another great podcast put on by Spicy Media and you can catch my interview, Alyssa's interviews, and uh, I guess seven others that, um, different feisty media hosts did and all the celebration of 50 years of title nine. And Haley, we have a really great interview for everyone this week on our podcast feed as well. All right. Yes. Yes. Not yes. Every Thursday, you can always catch us here. We will be here with our own great interviews, but this week we are talking to Ahalia Lettenberger. And so Ahalia was my teammate at the LA triathlon pro-am race, the PTO relay that we did a few weeks ago in Los Angeles. Ahalia was the swimmer on that relay team. She's also a swimmer at Rice University. She's a uh, uh, Tokyo Paralympic silver medalist. And that's from just last year, Tokyo. 20- I'm like, time is flying. I'm like trying to figure out when, when did the Paralympics just happen? But they did. They just happened. So she talks about that race in Tokyo. She talks about racing in the LA Tri. She's also preparing to race at the uh, Paris Swimming World Championships, which are happening in Portugal. They start this weekend, Alyssa. So another big thing happening ju- starting June 12th, June 12th through 18th. She tells us what events she'll be swimming there. And um, she also does have a connection to triathlon. And so she tells us about her history in triathlon and if she has any plans to return. So we'll have that full conversation with Ahalia right after the break. Hi, Ahalia. Welcome to the Iron Woman podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Hopefully most of our listeners are familiar with you a little bit already because I have previously mentioned you on this podcast as my relay teammate at the PTO Pro-Am Relay at the LA Triathlon a few weeks ago. So most of our listeners, they know already that you had a fantastic swim that day. You put our team into a great place to be competitive. What was your overall impression of the event? I I thought it was absolutely incredible. I really didn't know what to expect when I was going to it. Um, I knew that I was going to be on an incredible relay. Um, but I honestly, yeah, I didn't really have expectations going in, but it was so cool. It was just so cool to have this combination of like CAF athletes and pro triathletes together and a few like other people doing the run but it was really cool to just have these worlds colliding and just have like some of the best para athletes in the world and some of the best triathletes in the world like doing this race together the coverage and the pictures of the event were really cool and it was really nice for you know i was having like major fomo i was like oh maybe that is maybe i will sharpen my like pretend speed and try and go race like short stuff because they get to do some pretty fun stuff if i'm if i was up for it but um you are known for being one of the world's best pool swimmers and you have some experience in open water with paratriathlon, but doing a beach start race in the Pacific ocean is like just a whole new, like ball game really. Oh, right. Yeah, so 
did you do anything specific to prepare for the challenges of this race? No, I didn't really, to be honest. I going in, I knew it was going to be in the ocean, but I've like done because I've done triathlons before, but most of them have been like in bays or lakes, like not not the Pacific Ocean, just like off the beach. And so right when I saw like the surf, I I knew it was going to be it. A big challenge but way different than a pool so um like those just like getting out there like at the beginning of the race that that was some of like the hardest swimming I've ever done I was like this this is so crazy it's fun to know that there are still new things you can do with swimming even after having been in the sport for such a long time and Alyssa alluded to the coverage because it actually was really good it had drone coverage of the swim I don't know if you got a chance to go back and watch it later but it did look like so during the race Chris Hammer he gapped you a little bit early in the swim and then you swam him down and and then it looked like he kind of had some issues with sighting and he started swimming toward the wrong wrong buoy and you knew not to follow him you had your own better line so these are incredibly veteran moves by you and you're <laughs> this guy who races in the pro men's non-disabled field so he's not exactly a newbie either so but did you go into this race having a pacing and sighting strategy uh going into it I knew that I wanted to be like near the front of the field and I had a feeling that Chris was gonna be out in front and so as as soon as I saw him like start to pull away well I was actually like in last at the beginning right because of the surf like I was having so much trouble getting through and especially like not being able to stand up and like get through the waves I I was like way behind um but my strategy was kind of just like to to sight whoever was in front of me because I I've always had trouble sighting buoys I'm just that is not my strength (laughs) and so yeah that was my strategy just like follow whoever was in front and it happened to be Chris um but yeah on the way on that home stretch when we were coming back um because we thought that we were done we thought at one of like the first buoys coming back that we would turn in but we like we were trying to turn in and the kayakers were like no you have to keep going and so he started swimming off and I think he was going to the wrong buoy and I was like I should not follow him. So I just, I just swam my own line. I was like, I guess I'm just gonna, just gonna leave him. Such a good lesson for people not like to trust what you think you're supposed to do. You know, the person that's swimming in front of you isn't always doing the right thing. And was this, um, was the LA program your first race with the Challenge Athletes Foundation? Yes, it was. It was. And how did you kind of get involved with that? Was it like an invite and they were trying to piece together the relays and and so you kind of slotted into that swim spot? Yeah. So I've been involved with TAF a little in the past. Like they've given me grants for equipment and travel. Um, and so I, I've been a little bit involved, but not as involved as I would have liked. But my friend Haven, who also swam in the, the relay, she was my roommate in Tokyo and we've been friends for a really long time. And they were looking for more swimmers to fill in, fill in the relay teams. And so, uh, she, she told them to ask me and I'm so glad that, that I said, yes. And so we circle back to your tactical racing and pacing strategies. I would love to hear you talk about your 200 IM race at the Tokyo Paralympics (laughs) last summer. So for any of our listeners who aren't quite as familiar with swimming, 200 IM is 50 meters of butterfly, backstroke, breaststroke, and freestyle. And in a race like this, lead changes aren't infrequent, but in Tokyo, I think with about 15 meters, maybe even only 10 meters to the finish. You did not look like you were in medal contention. It was such a wild finish. So can you tell us about that race and the finish? Yeah, definitely. That was, that was pretty insane. Like watching it back, I, I couldn't believe like how, how far behind I was at the beginning and, and how close it was at the end. Yeah. So basically going into the race, I knew my front half is definitely my weaker half and my butterfly particularly I uh I struggle with compared to like my competitors and and one of the girls from Canada like her fly she's like the world record holder in the 50 fly so I knew that she was going to be out like a bullet and so 
on that back half on my on my breaststroke and my freestyle I I knew like going into the race that 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 would have to be where I where I made up ground and coming home on that on the last lap like I I didn't even realize how close it was because I was breathing to my left side and um the girl that I was like catching well I guess I was catching the whole field but the girl on my right side was when I was catching and so I couldn't even really see her I was just like going full throttle you know to the end um and when I looked up at the at the board and I saw how close it was it was it was hundreds and tenths of seconds between second place and fifth place and so when I saw that I was like holy crap like just it was anybody's race you know Oh, that's so exciting. And so what was it like then to stand on the podium with gold medalist Mallory Wegeman, I think is how you pronounce her name, and yeah. <laughs> um, who's also from the U.S., and to get to hear that U.S. national anthem played? Oh, there's there's really no way to describe it. First of all, like, Mallory has been someone who I've looked up to since I got into the sport. She's been, like, a huge role model for me. And so being able to be on the podium with her, like, that's really what dreams are made of, you know, like, to it's kind of full circle like she was one of the first pair of swimmers I met and then to end up on the podium with her is pretty insane um but yeah hearing the national anthem play while I was on that podium it's just every time I hear the national anthem now I, I still get chills because it just takes me back to that moment very well earned and and Holly you actually have a history with really close finishes beyond beyond the LA Pro-Am with Chris Hammer beyond the uh Tokyo Paralympics but um prior to college you raced paratriathlon and I think at the 2018 IT World Paratriathlon Series race in Yokohama you finished third and you were just a few seconds behind Ozzy yeah. Lauren Parker, who we actually talked to a couple of weeks ago. And you were just ahead of Spanish athlete, Ava Maria Moral. So what is your mindset in the closing years <laughs> of a race when every second matters? Because quite frequently you seem to get, be able to get your hand, you know, on the wall first or get that sand first. Oh my gosh. I, I, still remember that race so vividly that was one of the coolest moments ever and that was my first like big podium finish too and so that that was insane I just remember crossing the finish line and like going absolutely nuts with like my teammates and my dad who was my handler so that was really special I don't know I think I just I I'm kind of a come from behind athlete I I don't like especially in swimming I don't have like going out speed so just throughout my career, I I really like coming back and I like ha- kind of being stronger on the back half. And so I just, it's all about grit and and determination and like finishing the race strong. And so I don't know if something, something just takes over, I guess, in those, in those last moments of the race, because I just, I just use everything I have to, to get to that wall or get to that finish line. Are you able to remember those last like minutes or is it just a blur? Like once it's done, like you just kind of, your brain does it automatically or like, do you ever have a moment while you're in a finish like that of like, Oh my God, this is coming down to this. Like that one in particular, I, I can remember and I'll probably remember that for the rest of my life because that, that was so insane. I just remember like seeing her, I saw her for so long on the run, like right in front of me and just being like, you got to catch her, you got to catch her. And then on the finishing shoot to like finally pass her, that that was crazy. But in swimming, most of the time my brain just takes over. Like some of my best races are races that I I don't remember a single second of because that just, I guess I was just in the zone and just doing everything. I guess everything in swimming right. it's harder. You might see the person in the lane next to you, but you really can never really tell like, you know, who's hand is an inch ahead or not and things like that. So um, I guess you do kind of have to let your brain and body take over at that point, probably. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Oh, I was going to say, I just, I feel like there's this competitive instinct. One of my uh, college roommates, Carolyn Joyce, she would actually flip like the alternate direction, like then is typical so that like uh, she did the 50 free and it was so that when she flipped, she could look her competitor right in the face, like right in the eyes underwater. I feel like Holly (laughs) might have this too, because I don't think this made the coverage, but I heard about it. Um, in the pre-race interviews, they, um, they, they ask you, they asked you, who do you want to beat? And 
And uh, no, Holly, do you want to do you want to let everyone hear how you uh, answered that? Oh my gosh, I thought so. I thought they said, "Who do you want to meet?" And so I, oh. so I said, "Everyone." But really, they said, "Who do you want to meet?" And so it sounded like I was I was ready to go. Ready to go, yeah. I love that mindset though. I think I'm going to start doing that. If anyone asks me, who do I want to be? I'm going to be like everyone. I hope Ahalia is here too, because I really, I, that's the competitor. I really want, I want to sprint finish with Ahalia. And so after the Paralympics, you didn't get much time to celebrate because you actually had to head back to the U S and get to class. So can you tell us about your experience as a student athlete at Rice University? Yeah, I I've had the most incredible experience being a college athlete. That was definitely one of my goals like in high school and just throughout my throughout swimming like before college was that I really wanted to swim and I really wanted to swim division one in college um and so swimming at Rice like it really is incredible like being a college athlete is so different than being like a club swimmer or a club athlete or a high school athlete just because I think the team dynamic is is way different and you're always like swimming for your team which I think is really special it's just very different than even swimming internationally too because like internationally like obviously I'm swimming for my country but I feel like it is like a little more individual because you're not swimming you're not training together all the time versus in college you're training with your teammates all the time and so you really you really like are when it comes to competitions like have a really really vested interest in each other um and so it's just been incredible and being I'm studying bioengineering and so it's it's definitely tough like having that having to balance athletics and and academics but it's it's worth it. And so my sister actually my younger sister went to Rice. She swam at Rice. And so I was asking her about like any Rice insight questions to ask you <laughs> and Honestly, everything she texted me, it sounded like another language that like I didn't have Google Translate for. She's like, ask her about her servery, ask her about <laughs> her like her house cheer and all of that. So are there quirky things about rice that you enjoy as a school um, outside of necessarily the athletic team? Oh, yeah. Rice is definitely not your typical college experience. Like all the all the dorms are called colleges and you're like randomly sorted into them kind of like harry potter houses and so that's a really cool thing we do and like all of the colleges um compete against each other and so there's this really big tradition at the end of the year called it's called beer bike and so you guys would enjoy this it's like uh it's a relay and you have a chug team and a bike team so the chug team chugs water and then every time they finish chugging a bottle then someone races two laps on their bike we have like a bike track <laughs> right and so it's this huge competition like um between all the colleges and like yeah it's it's really cool she did mention that and I think one of the things was she was like ask her what her favorite beer bike theme is is that a thing <laughs> yeah that's, theme? A, that's a that's a thing <laughs> what is it what's your favorite beer bike theme now that you've kind of explained what beer bike is well, I mean, I feel like people aren't always chugging the bottles of water, though, right? <laughs> yeah. Now that it's like, because it's like a school sponsored thing. So I think they used to like chug beer back in the day. But like now, like the, the chuggers like specifically chug water. But yeah, the school in general, I wouldn't say are chugging water that day. <laughs> but my favorite beer bike theme, each college like has their own theme. And so ours this year was, uh, oh my gosh. I don't even remember what it was. Last year it was last year it was Rata Brewery Week, so like it's like a pun with like Rubber. something that has to do with alcohol. Oh man, it's making me miss all of these <laughs> college fun things for sure. But you know, I don't think that it's all fun and games for you there because we believe that you're close to wrapping up a May master class which is a class on a significantly reduced timeline, and it's known to be like really challenging to fit it all in. And that's without travel to pro-am relay races <laughs> and without preparing for the upcoming world championships. And we think you even snuck in a trip to the white house during the month. So how do you sports fit into your already like super busy life? Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely tough. It's definitely a lot of time management, but for me, it's just like about priorities. And so like right now leading into world championships coming up, like swimming is definitely my priority. And so it's just doing everything I can to, 
to get my schoolwork done, but like prioritize recovery and getting sleep and nutrition. Um, and so it's just like, sometimes I have to make sacrifices, whether that be during the school year, maybe that be sleep, or right now, maybe it's not going out with friends as much as I would want to like, but just doing, doing the best that I can to like, make sure that I'm, I'm balancing everything, but like still having fun. And so we are recording this conversation just under two weeks ahead of the World Para Swimming Championships. They're going to be held on the Portuguese island of Madeira. It's yeah. June 12th through 18th. And so this is the first major swimming competition since that, those Paralympic Games in Tokyo. What events will you be racing and how are you feeling about another big international competition? Yeah, I'll be racing um, 200 IM, 400 freestyle, and then... 100 breaststroke, 50 butterfly, and 100 freestyle. Um, and I'm super excited. It's kind of insane. Yeah, like I haven't raced in a big meet since Tokyo. And so those feelings are kind of coming back, like all the kind of like pre-race anxiety, not anxiety, pre-race like nerves and excitement that I had before like Tokyo and before Worlds before that I, I haven't felt in a really long time. And so it's 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 exciting and I'm definitely like getting more excited every day because I feel like it hadn't sunk in um that it was like so close until like this past week so and then your victory over Chris I feel like we gotta have him on the podcast just to like defend himself but I'm just yeah I just it was it was so fun to watch but sorry <laughs> if he listens he can call and leave us a voicemail or write into yeah, the mailbag right. or something if he wants to <laughs> and we know you're super focused on world championships and presumably the next Paralympic games in Paris, just two years away, but you are only 21 years old and you had international success in paratriathlon as a teenager. So did the race in LA kind of light a fire to maybe return to triathlon in the future? It actually really did. Like as soon as I got, as soon as we got out of the swim and we were on the bus, like going back to transition, I was like on my phone looking up races that I could do later in the summer. Cause it really did. I forgot how fun it was. And I like did it when I was pretty young. Like when I was, I did my last one when I was 17. And so like, I think I didn't appreciate it as much as, as I like do slash would now. And like, I, yeah, it really, it really made me want to come back actually. We love hearing it. Like we love uh, the team. Well, especially of Kendall Gratch, you team USA so strong. I mean, Lauren Parker, we're a Lauren Parker fan as well. So I just think, I mean, the fierce racing right now is, is so fun. And, um, and I feel like you yeah. have the, you have it in you. I think we could see you, you know, mixing it up like Lauren, um, instead of going biathlon route, like Kendall, you can like mix up the triathlon distances like Lauren. And, uh, again, you're very, very young. You got lots of things going on, but I feel like, um, <laughs> I feel like you would like some longer distances, but, um, but before we, we commit you to that at only age 21, yeah. since, uh, we kind of wanted to finish with a few rapid fire questions just because it's moderately fun and, um, <laughs> I enjoy writing them. <laughs> so I, I feel like they're kind of rapid fire. Some of them are a little bit long, but they're not as long as the previous questions. Anyway, uh, if you'll humor me, you have swam in a lot of pools around the world. Do you have a favorite swimming pool? My favorite one was definitely the Tokyo pool. I mean, I mean, you can't really go along with the Olympic Paralympic pool. My set, if it's not that, my second favorite one is pool in Berlin. Um, that is absolutely incredible, and I swam that a couple times. So those two. And what about your favorite open water swim venue? Ooh, well, I can tell you my least my least favorite open water swim venue was um, the Yokohama. I the one that I yeah the one we were talking about um, the open water swim. There was like these jellyfish in the bay, and they were they didn't sting, thank goodness. But there were so many, and you'd be swimming through them and just feel them like just you would just be moving jellyfish, not water, and Maybe that's why my swim was so fast because I just wanted to get out of that water, but that was definitely my least. So yeah, Fair. we will take that as an answer. Um, and you have lots of time yeah. to figure out a favorite. I, I guarantee I've had a very favorite. few actual jellyfish interactions in all my open water swims, like knock on wood. So I, you can, you can do better. Um, what do you believe is the hardest event in swimming in a pool? 
I think the hardest event is the 400 IM. I, I started doing that this past season. Uh, and it, I think it's the most painful event, like by far. I don't, I don't think there's a, maybe there, maybe like the 200 fly and the mile are, are close behind, but that, that's a doozy. And thanks to recent legislation changes, NCAA athletes are effectively allowed to have sponsors. So do you have a dream sponsor? Uh, uh, my dream sponsor is actually Kraft, Parmesan, like the cheese company, because my favorite food is Parmesan cheese. So that's like, <laughs> that's great. Sure. Kraft is good too, because it's like an overarching company. There's a lot of like different things I feel like they do. You get a lot of different exactly, perks yeah. with that one, plus the Parmesan. I love that For answer. Sure. Um, <laughs> uh, okay. So we talked about your close finishes. Is there any athlete you'd love to go head to head with in a sprint finish? Oh, man. That's tough. Probably like Katie Ledecky or something, but obviously I'd get destroyed, but, but it would be fun. And you have a long flight to Portugal coming up. And so on the plane, do you watch a movie, read a book, chat with your neighbor like Haley or sleep? I, I'm a huge plane sleeper, so I will probably be, be out the whole flight. That's smart, especially in case you're sitting next to me. But um, <laughs> no, uh, I'm like the person you don't want to be sitting next to on a plane. Just kidding. Um, I approve of sleeping, especially if you do it overnight. But how will you celebrate the end of classes and the world championships? Oh, probably going out to some dessert place. I'm I'm a big I'm a big sweet tooth, big dessert girl. Chocolate is like my weakness, and so going out whether it be ice cream or cake, something like that. Chocolate and Parmesan cheese. We can definitely, I can't keep up yeah. swimming with you, but we could definitely have fun hanging out. So, yeah. <laughs> Ahalia, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy, busy schedule to chat with us today. Um, we wish you yeah, all the best at World Championships coming up. We will definitely be watching and we'll uh, make sure our listeners know how to follow along with that. Of course. Thank you guys so much for having me. It was so much fun. Haley, it was really fun to get to talk to Ahalia and kind of hear the other side of um, her story, but also, you know, get some more information about that LA triathlon experience, which I know is very special for you and, and cool to see. And how can we watch her this weekend? So I went to the Paralympic.org website and Right now, they just have a link that says the results will be there. So I'm not exactly sure if they're going to have like live coverage or YouTube videos, but definitely um, check out the, the website, paralympic.org forward slash Madeira 2022, because there's a lot of good information on there, but nothing about uh, where to watch. And so maybe we need to like write in and be like, we, there's an audience. We want to see these athletes compete because I think, you know, Paralympics sports are just so, so much fun to watch. I mean, the, they're so exciting. And we've seen that just from like our last couple of interviews. And uh, I hope, you know, they're getting more coverage in the future because I think that this is exciting TV. I agree. I agree. If, you know, if people are listening to this on Thursday, you go online and check and there's still no more details. Let's, I don't know, get on Twitter, start a revolution or something, because all it takes is a little bit of that and some, we might figure out what we want to know. So, um, thanks again to Ahalia and cheering for her this weekend. And yeah, Haley, I think, I think that's all we have for people this week. I know it's been a big week, lots of big weeks co still coming up. Alyssa, keep recovering and hitting that noon instant as you, uh, recover from all these big days out training, but I will talk to you next week. You have been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Feisty Media and is edited by Amelia Perry and produced by Ella Natitian. Head to livefeisty.com to find more podcasts, events, stories, and fresh perspectives. Thanks for listening. <laughs>